Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Get German Football News podcast, where this week we're going to be discussing one of Germany's best young talents in current, I repeat current, by Leverkusen attacker Kai Havertz. As always, I'm your host for the evening, Nathan Evans, and once again I've been joined by two of the best Bundesliga experts in the business, Andrew Thompson. Guys, hello. And of course, Tom Fenton. Good evening. How are we both doing, boys? All good. good. Good stuff. Uh, so tonight, together, we'll be discussing Kai Havertz's career so far, touching on his strengths and weaknesses, as well as discussing what the future may hold for the young German star. But first, a bit of background to get us started. Born in 1999 in the small town of Aachen on Germany's most western border, Havertz spent his youth career with firstly Alemannia Mariedorf and Alemannia Aachen, before moving to Bayer Leverkusen in 2010 at the age of 11. From there, Havertz excelled in Bayer Leverkusen's youth setup. In October 2016, he made his full Bundesliga debut for Bayer's first team, and by early 2017, he was starting in the Champions League against Atletico Madrid, although couldn't play in his side's return leg due to school exams. At the age of 17, the attacker became Leverkusen's youngest ever goal scorer, notching in a 3-3 draw with Wolfsburg. Now into his fourth season in Bayer's first team, Havertz has 46 goals and 31 assists through 150 matches across all competitions. A lengthy list of personal accolades to his name, a regular spot in Joachim Lowe's German national team squad, and he's been heavily linked this summer with a move to Premier League side Chelsea for a club record fee. We'll come to the player that he's developed into shortly, but going back to the very start, how clear, Tom, was it from the beginning that Havertz would develop into a world-class talent? Um, I'd say it was pretty pretty clear to most observers or people who were paying attention. Um, I think what was unique about Kai from a very early age was his stature and the fact that he wasn't your average sort of conventional diminutive uh, attacking midfielder. He really was, uh, you know, out of the mould of that and, and, and he was tall and rangy and he was so technically gifted but could also contribute from an early age with goals as well as being a technician um and it just meant he was a threat in so many areas from an early age i mean for the under 17s at Bayer, he was prolific just scored a ridiculous amount of goals even though he wasn't you know particularly playing as a center forward he was playing as a more withdrawn midfielder and um he's just gone from strength to strength and he's he's tweaked his game he's you know he's changed positions a couple of times and uh improved in certain weaknesses and, and that kind of thing. But it's just been a sort of gradual progression and, and he's fulfilling the potential that he always sh- uh, showed from, you know, from the under 16s to under 17s, he was always in the German setup. And it's a, it's a sign of his quality. I think that he completely fast tracked uh, the under, under 21 uh, team, which we know in Germany is highly successful and went straight from under ni- under 19s to the first team and uh, where he's playing now and, and will resume, you know, once the, international uh, break uh, resumes again. So, yeah, he's he was always earmarked for, for big things from an early age and, you know, coming through the Bayer setup, uh, a setup that's, that's produced many talented German footballers down the years, um, he was just the next one to come along and, and it was almost expected of him rather than, you know, we so often we see in the Bundesliga that the story is of somebody who rises through the divisions or starts at a smaller club and then works his way up, like, you know, like a, a Goretzka or that kind of thing. But, um with you know, with with Kai Havertz, it, it was re- really all all meant for him, and uh, 
and this is just the fruition of, of what many people uh, foresaw many years ago. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look through his first season with Bayer, in general for the season, you know, he played mainly on the right wing, but also in central midfield, attacking midfield on left wing and up front at times. How important do you think his versatility has been to his growth, Drew? And do you, is it something that maybe got him his chance in the first place, in the first team? Uh, I think it it may have it. If you kind of move forward to the present day, you can kind of make the debate that modern day footballers have to be tactically versatile. They have to be able to fill in in two or three roles at minimum. Um, And if you look at a lot of the players that we're talking about now with high praise, most of them can play at least two positions incredibly well and maybe deputize in a third or fourth. So I think Havertz is one of those, you know, modern footballers we're thinking about now, even at that age. And I think he sort of was one of the ones to maybe remold what a footballer looks like. And I think that would probably would have gotten a missed chance for sure. Um, and I would probably have to agree overall that it was just so clear from the start. Um, and you don't really say that a lot of the players, because if you look back at the, the, the players who've, one out of the gold, silver, bronze, Fitzwalter medals. Some of them have gone on to have brilliant careers. Some of them have completely fallen on their face, and yet some of them maybe ended up middle of the road. So getting that kind of high praise at under 17, 18, or 19 level, it's good, but it doesn't mean you're guaranteed to go on and, and, and kick forward in your career. Someone as a prime example, that would be Felix Paslak. People spoke so highly of him when he was an under-17 player, under-19 player. And everyone thought he was going to be one of the really big bright spots for Dortmund moving forward in his career. I was one of them, but it just hasn't really come off for him. But Havertz, I think, A, he got lucky that he never dealt with serious injuries when he was in his developmental years. That was the first thing. But also simply just because if someone was in form in a position that he could play, you could just put him somewhere else. And what it does is even though you're, you're not looking at him maybe coming on in one position and excelling in one area, it ensures that by that certain age level where you need where minutes are so key, he's going to get minutes somewhere. And that's kind of what matters at the, at the most. When you, when you hit 17, 18 years old, if you are at that level, all you need at that point is minutes. No amount of training is really going to move you forward in your development as a player. It's all about getting match time, which is why loans exist. So the fact that he was able to get minutes at such a young age and heavy minutes, that really sort of, for me, is one of the reasons why he is where he is at current, because there are other players who uh, maybe came along in, in a similar age bracket with him who aren't who didn't develop to that level because of something like they just didn't get the time or they had a little series of bad loans. But Leverkusen were in a position to really sort of to, to bring him in and, and work him into multiple areas. And I think it served him well for sure. Yeah, obviously since his first season, he's it, it, it improved. You know, he's gone on to win accolades, breaking records. Had his, as I guess some would say, his big breakout in the 2018-19 season when he became the first teenager to reach 17 goals in a single Bundesliga campaign. Obviously got in the Bundesliga team of the year for that reason. And finished only second to Dortmund's Marco Royce for German Footballer of the Year. Losing out by, I think it was like 35, 37 votes, something like that. Is, is there a chance that we'll never see a breakout campaign like that again in the Bundesliga, in your opinion, Tom? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say so. Um, I think he, of course, he's an exceptional talent. Of course, he may turn out, turn out to be a generational talent. We, we don't know yet. He's still got uh, steps to fulfil in that regard. But um, I certainly think the development... Again, perhaps because of his physical development, um, it is something that you might never see in the sense of, of being that good so early. I just think he has such an advantage 
um, with, with this almost God-given sort of technical ability, the way he sort of controls the ball and he just seems to manipulate it so well. And and then again, his, his frame and his ability to to score in every way from headers to, you know, to sort of clinical tap-ins. And um, he just sort of possessed so much from such a young age that I think a start like that, I don't want to say it was inevitable because it's, it's never inevitable with a young player, as Drew was just saying, so much can go wrong. But um uh, but he had, he just possessed so many advantages from a from a young age compared to others who maybe will take longer to develop in terms of their physical attributes, longer to develop in terms of their technical ability. Whereas Kai has has everything you'd want from a modern day footballer. And again, Drew mentioned the ability to play in numerous positions, and it meant you could get the game time he needed. It meant you could, you could you know, if you had a an issue in terms of you got a striker that's not performing well, well, you can just put Havertz up there because he's he's tall enough and he, he can head the ball really well, and you've got a target man as well as a, as a technician. So I just think it was a, you know, the reason he he was so prolific was uh, as a result of circumstance in terms of uh, he often had to be the guy who was putting the ball in the net, but also just because of what he was sort of born with and, and, and the way he came into the league. And, and um, yeah, so I think it's a combination of both, but I certainly don't think it's the last time we'll see somebody have an impact like this because, you know, I, I mean, you, you could have someone like Wayne Rooney come along who's 16 and, and again, possesses everything from, from a young age. It's just about what you've got uh, as a teenager. And some people are just sort of more physically advantaged than, than others. Um, again, I mean, there's no guarantees and, we should remember what a remarkable breakthrough season he had two years ago because it's not going to happen every day. But as we've seen with someone like Jaden Sancho, you never know who the next big star is going to be. You never know how big how big of an impact they're going to have. So, yeah, I, I certainly don't, don't think um, it's the last we'll see of a season like that. But, uh, but it's a sign that he could be the generational talent that we all uh, hoped he would bloom into, you know. Yeah, maybe go next into like his style of play and as two people that have watched a lot of Bundesliga action have obviously seen him play a lot over the past few seasons a very simple question but equally one that's quite hard to answer in a way uh, if we come to you first Drew what are his best features as a player I think we've we've kind of already discussed it, his technical ability for a player of his frame and it, the comparisons have already been made to someone like a Tony Cruz or uh, Michael Ballack the same thing was kind of hovers for me and, but the bigger thing for me, I think, is how intelligent he is on the ball. He reads the game to a level that's, that was far beyond his years. And that also, for me, is one of the reasons why he kicked on so early. Everything just came so sort of natural to him. And that's almost something you can't even teach. As Tom kind of said, it's almost like a God-given kind of thing, where that's a variable that it's, you can teach intelligence, but sometimes players have that additional level of intelligence that just comes with them. And I think, for me, that kind of highlights his game. And I think that's why he can be so tactically versatile because he's smart enough and intuitive enough on the pitch to be able to learn multiple roles and still excel. So for me, I would, I would put him down as a technically gifted player. I think a lot of us would probably agree. Um, but also I think instinctual and that intelligence. So I mean, again, it's kind of hard to really describe players. You can, I mean, we could sit here and run through everything I think he's good at, but there's kind of really no point, but that would kind of classify him as the kind of player you build around moving forward which is why I think people have made those comparisons before to someone like a Balak or a Cruiser, I guess maybe even like a Mezzo in his pump before he kind of, you know, I guess even when he went to Real Madrid, you could argue that he was so vital to that side and without Ozil in that team, I don't think someone like Ronaldo or Di Maria or even Benzema kind of shines on that level. I think 
Havertz is that same kind of player. I think he's a very central, intelligent, technically gifted figure. That's the best way I could probably describe him without us ranting for about an hour. So, <laughs> Yeah, same question for you as well, Tom. Um, well, yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And uh, his intelligence really is uh, an underrated asset of his because the one thing that you notice when you see um, – he just comes alive in the penalty area. He has an instinct for where the ball is going to be. You know, in the running towards the end of, of last season, although they, they didn't ultimately finish in, in fourth, in a lot of games, he was the difference maker and he was the one who would make a, a wonderful little, you know, move towards the front or, 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 you know, far post. And he'd get headers that you just didn't think out of nowhere. And, and his, his finishing is, is brilliant, but his, his ability to get in the right place at the right time, you know, for a cross or a through ball is, is, uh, is really undervalued, I think, and underappreciated. And he almost has that sort of, and again, it's, it's, it's funny because he's going to Chelsea, but he, he almost has that Frank Lampard-esque feeling for where the ball is going to be at, at, at any given time. And when you add that to the fact that he can play as the number 10 and put the ball where it needs to be for other people, I mean, you're dealing with a, a, a sort of a, a freak of a footballer because... He has the predatory instincts of a number nine, but he also has the technical ability of a number 10. And with his physicality going forward, if he you know, gets on whatever Leon Goretzka's on at the minute, he could also be a wonderful box-to-box. So he really could be the complete package. And of course, as he gets older, he's going to find his role. But he has so many good attributes. Like, so again, you know, and again, as Drew said, we could wax lyrical all night about, about what he has got and what he can bring to his game. Um, but, but I think that's, that's what kind of that's what stands out to me most is the fact that he is a bit of a modern day freak of a footballer in the sense that he can be so many things. Uh, and that can sometimes mean players get a bit lost and never truly find who they are on the pitch. Um, but it can also mean he can, that when he does find his role, uh, he can hone it and he can be the best in the world at whatever he wants to do because players like him really don't come along very often who have such a skill set and could bring so much to a team. So uh, yeah, he's a remarkable talent and um yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what, you know, what, what he does next. Yeah, just going back to like his versatility then, something we touched on before. Obviously, we've seen him play all around the pitch. For you two, where, where do you see him at in his natural role? Like, what position is he best in for you two? I hate using, I mean, a lot of people kind of get the wrong impression if you use like kind of like the, the numbers system for positions. But for me, I guess the best way I could explain it I don't think you should play him as an out-and-out 10. I also don't think you should play him as an out-and-out 8. I think you need to play him as a hybrid. I think you need to allow him the areas of the pitch where he can really be influential, not just on the ball, but as we've just spoken about, his ability to read the game, his ability to to find the space, um, allow his predatory instincts in the final third to come to the fore while also allowing him to control play, to control the flow. Um, I think he's more creative than maybe we've seen. I think Leverkusen have needed him to score a lot of goals, but I think in a different team, and we might be seeing this uh, with Chelsea moving forward potentially, is you might get to see more of his creative side as well. Because if you look, if you look at that Chelsea team, what, what they're building at the moment, they've got a, a fair amount of goals. They just brought in Timo Werner for that role. You'd assume he'd be the, the, the leading forward there. Um, Hakim Zayek can, can, can get a goal for you. They have Tam Abraham who just had 14 or 15 goals this season in the league. Um, Christian Pulisic as well so I don't know if Chelsea's going to rely on his goal scoring but I think Chelsea's going to rely on him to be that 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 creative presence um, in midfield so I think that might be side of his game that not enough people who don't watch Bundesliga haven't seen but they're going to see moving forward so for me I, that's kind of where I would put him at his best I know 
um, that he can play as a center forward. He can play as um, a second striker. He can play out on, on the right if you need him, or he can play deeper in midfield. But for me, I think that's where he shines best. And um, and as Tom was just saying, when you, when you add that sort of technical grace that he has, but his physical attributes, you're looking at a player who could really excel in the Premier League because of that nature. Um, so that's for me would be where, where I would place him. If I was building a side, that's exactly where I would use him personally. Would you say you agree with that, Tom, as well? Uh, yeah, to an extent. Um, I think personally I'd play him a bit higher. Um, I, I always think back to, uh, to Stephen Gerrard at Liverpool because he was a player who perhaps didn't have the tactical discipline or, or the sort of the, the attributes to play a box-to-box role for Liverpool often. And what someone like Rafa Benitez did, he, you know, is, is he created this second striker role behind Fernando Torres. And I could almost see Havertz doing a similar thing for Chelsea, whereby him and Werner have a nice little relationship and, and he can be that second striker, the one who plays in just behind, can, can you know, sort of sniff out goals, but can also lay it on a plate for his teammates. Because um, I, I kind of see... Ziek as being the, the creator inside. If he goes to Chelsea, of course, this is all hyperbole. But um, uh, but I I, uh, I don't know. I, I just for me, he's a wonderful technician, and, and of course, and, and we shouldn't overlook that. And his ability to create is is brilliant. But he's such a, a talent and a threat in the air that if it was me personally, uh, I'd want him in and around uh, the penalty box as much as possible, um, and I'd want him to be a goal threat because he's just he's got such an instinct for where to be at the right time. And again, his heading is only going to improve as he, as he gets older and his intelligence and movement gets even better. And, you know, um, but, but I just think with, and again, I'm just seeing a picture in my head of, of, of Werner running the channels, doing the graft, and then often Havertz just popping up on the edge of the box or in the box itself and getting a bag of goals. Um, because again, I think he'll suit the Premier League in that sense. I think he'll be able to torture uh, Premier League defenders um, with his movement and what he can bring in terms of, of his finishing and his, and his, you know, physical attributes as well, because he's got a turn of pace. So I think for me, I'd play him again, not too dissimilar from, from Drew, but I'd play him a bit higher, I'd make a position almost of his own. Um, and I'd utilize that because there's, there's, there's definitely goals in Chelsea, but there's also a lot of creativity there uh, around him. So I think if he, if he doesn't need to become that hub of creativity, then for me, then you utilize his height and his, his heading ability and his, his movement and ability to sort of be in the right place at the right time. So I think I'd harness that a bit more, but uh, I can't disagree too much. I think you could, just real fast, I think you could almost, and let me know what you guys think about this, you could almost maybe see something somewhat similar at Chelsea, at least on the team sheet, to what um, Irby Leipzig used to do with Werner and Poulsen. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for me, I think what would make Harvard so dangerous is if he's making those late runs into the area, which is maybe why I wouldn't use him as a second striker, but maybe slightly deeper because he has that intelligence. He can either be popped up on the top of the box and he can use his goal scoring instincts there, or if he's making that late run in with those little deft touches on the end of service from Zayek, or he can get on the end of a header. That's the thing. What makes him such a potentially such a key signing for Chelsea is he gives them so many options on the pitch both tactically and during the run of play that I, 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 if that deal comes off and then as you say, it's hyperbole now, but if it actually ends up being finalized, you'd have to 
maybe make the argument that his signing would even be maybe more important than Werner because you could see Havertz as the one to unlock Werner even more rather than the opposite. And I, th- I don't think that's what people maybe are considering necessarily, but obviously I'm open to, to your guys' thoughts on that one as well. So, Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think, um, I think uh, unlike some signings this summer, I think you can make a case that Chelsea really do have a plan for him. And I'm just I'm eager and, and fascinated to know what the plan's going to be because you can play him in so many different areas. You can play him in so many different ways. Uh, so it's a really, really fascinating project. And as much as we were all, you know, we're taught in the modern age to not get excited about transfers and results are what matter and stuff, you you can't look at the Chelsea team sheet next season and not not be intrigued by the prospects of all this talent on the pitch. Uh, so particularly with, with Havertz as the hub. So yeah, for me, it's, it's a fascinating uh, dilemma and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing which way Lampard goes with that. Uh, looking on the flip side then next, and something that not many pundits have spoken about in the press so far with the transfer links and so on, I have a see Havertz's weaknesses as a player if he has any that is because I'm not sure I've seen any so far really. Um, if we come to you first maybe this time Tom what are the areas of his game that need to improve for him to become and be seen as potentially one of the best attacking midfielders in the world? Um, I think first and foremost uh, work rate and defensive contribution I, I know that you know it's it's very easy to say that for me because but but because at the end of the day he is playing as the the goal getter and buyer and he's the he's the, almost the the spearhead of the attack. Um, you want him creating creating you know a bit like a Ozil and players like that. You want them to be creators and you know adding something at one end and it's almost irrelevant at times what they do at the other end. But in the modern game here, particularly at Chelsea, particularly in the Premier League, where the teams that excel are the teams where every man is working their nuts off on the pitch. Uh, for the cause, you, you're going to need Havertz to contribute in that sense, in that regard, and, you, and he's going to need to to add that dimension to his game, to add a bit more in the way of uh, of, of intelligent pressing, in my opinion. Um, because again, that's the one area you can point to and say, okay, well, you know, in terms of his defensive contribution, although maybe he hasn't needed to do that as much, I think that's the one area you can point to and say, yeah, he'd need to to improve a bit on that as well, and. Um, you know, I, th- I think you want to beef him up a bit and sort of, uh, again, much, much in the same way that Goretzka has, because you look at the player he is now compared to the player he was at Schalke, and he's added muscle and size, and he's 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 so hard to get off the ball, and he's he's much better defensively, and he can run all day long, and um, I think if he can add that, if he can play be a player who goes both ways, uh, and almost slowly morph even into a box to box type player, because. With his height, with his tactical ability, with his uh, technical ability, he's certainly capable of that. So the only thing you you can really point to, in my opinion, is defensive contribution. And maybe he's not the best crosser of the ball, but but I mean, it doesn't really need to be unless he's going to be playing out wide, which I can't see happening anyway. So uh, that would be the only thing I point to, uh, because in order for Chelsea to be battling with City and battling with Liverpool, they're going to need to create their own brand of pressing. They're going to need all 11 players to be working for the cause. And that will include Havertz. I can't imagine Lampard will want passengers. So uh, I think if he can just improve that a little bit, then um, then he really is a player without too many flaws. 
Yeah, is there anything that you see in his game that needs improvement as well, Drew? I wouldn't really add much more to that, honestly. I think these are maybe... I probably agree to, well, to a large extent that these are criticisms that might or are more readily going to crop up in, in Premier League football than maybe Bundesliga football. Um, also, a lot of it's going to maybe depend on what Chelsea are going to demand from him. Like, we don't know what they're going to do for, say, he goes there and, and Godot Kante leaves. Then you're going to need him to maybe have that 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 work rate and ability to come back and maybe support the midfield, uh, depending on whoever is in it, Jorginho, Kovacic, whoever it might be. Um, he's going to have to be a little bit more all action, if you will. Um, so at least at the start, you know, to, to build form, you might just not come in and start just bagging goals. So he's going to have to be able to contribute in other areas, if, certainly if he's not firing uh, off the start. So um I would probably agree that, you know, his work rate definitely needs to be improving. I would say beefing up as well. Um, I wouldn't say he needs to turn into Hulk. I think Goretzka's overdone it slightly. But um, certainly beefing up would help the, the, the clear physical nature that of the Premier League is going to get, certainly from certain sides. Um, but after that, it's hard to really – and it's, it's, it's all crazy to think about because if you look, he's only 21, and it's really hard to look at him and say – that he has so, like such glaring weaknesses in his game that he can be picked apart. You really can't. And that's almost kind of why we're having this podcast in the first place. So yeah, it's, it's tough to say more than that, really. Just in terms of like a question regarding where he's at now as a player. Um, I saw a start earlier on saying that he'd scored the second most goals uh, for an under 21 year old over the past two seasons, only behind Kylian Mbappe, who as we know, he's a bit of a freak of nature. Where would you two put him in a list of the best young talents in the world right now? Maybe without Mbappé, most people would have at the top of that list. Do you want to go with that one first, Tom? Uh, top five for me, um, in terms of under-21, I think he has to be there. Uh, again, because of just how different he is as a player, just because of how, in how many ways he can hurt you. Uh, the fact also that I think is overlooked is that he's a, he's a bit of a leader at Bayer and he, he burdens so much responsibility for such a young player. And we know that at other clubs, uh, it tends to be that these players can thrive because there isn't really that same level of pressure. But I think at Bayer, he was the man who had to pull them kicking and screaming into that top four last year. And while they fell short, I mean, you know, they gave it their best shot and a, a large part of that was down to Kai Havertz. And um, yeah, he's, he, for me, he's top five. I wouldn't want to put put those top five in order, but I think he has to be in there with the likes of you know Sancho and and a few others. And uh, and again, he's a very different player to most of the guys we'd mention in that bracket. Uh, but he is just so unique and so consistent too for many seasons. Um, some of these guys that you know that we we, we could talk about. Uh, might have one good year and they might have a, a sort of downward patch. And of course, you know, there's been fluctuations in Havertz's his form over the years, but he, he generally is so consistent and, you know, he, he can just hurt you in so many ways. And, um, and for me, what he can bloom into as a player is so exciting and so potentially sort of transformative for the national team as well, that he has to be among the very best for me, even if, you know, some other players around the world are going to get more plaudits. I think he's right there in terms of the, yeah, you know, the, the best of the best for his age group. Would you agree with that, Drew? Um, or would you go maybe higher, lower? I'd go higher and I'd put him in a top three. Um, I don't know. I mean, I know who my top three would be. I don't know what order they would be without actually sitting down and racking my brain for about a week. But 
Who's um, top three out of interest? I'm just curious. How dare you put... No, I'm just kidding. Um, I would say <laughs> Centro has to be there as well be, because of how much better he's yeah. made Dortmund at his age, yeah. for sure. The third one was tricky. I mulled over someone... I wouldn't say Holland is there, honestly. You could argue maybe Trent. So maybe I'll go with that just because of, you know, he's setting records for, for, for assist numbers for a, a wing back, And obviously it helps the way Liverpool play and who he has on that side, but... Um, he himself has come on and matured rapidly for someone who is in his age bracket as well. Um, and he's just, he's just, I don't know, I think he's just the, the prototypical modern fullback. There might be criticisms about if he defends well or not, but um, when you're not really tasked in doing a lot of the defending, then it's hard to criticize you for doing something you're maybe not expected to do. Um, so I would maybe put those three um, and I'd mull over that. I mean, there's so many shots you could make. You, you know, people can argue with Makano because of how good he, he came quickly. You know, someone like Hostum Allah, maybe. I mean, I don't really know, but those would be my three. I know it's maybe a slight bias with uh, with Sancho in there as well, but yeah, those would be my three. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'd actually put him not too far from top three either because, yeah, I mean, Trent for me is so good because also similar to Havertz because of what he can become, he could perhaps, perhaps morph into a generational midfielder who knows or be the best fullback of all time. Like, yeah, so I think if he's not top three, he's right on the fringe for me. Um, so I, I couldn't disagree too much with that. Yeah, there's no Steve Finn in there yet, is it? <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he got Liverpool to a Champions League final last week, I guess. Ah, there we go. <laughs> Put some respect <laughs> on his name. <laughs> um, maybe lastly, if we finish off on the topic of his proposed move to the Premier League, then for Havertz and to Chelsea, as we've mentioned and everyone knows by now, uh, the figure looking likely to be around €80 million Euros up front, likely to rise to about 100 million euros with add-ons, bonuses, so on. In simple terms, how much can he offer to the current Chelsea side and where do you see him playing for manager Frank Lampard if the transfer goes through, if you want to go with that, Drew, first? I don't know. I kind of feel like, it's just, there's, as we said before, there's a lot of options that Lampard has this season. You could see something like a 4 two, 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 similar to what you know, RBL used to do. Or sometimes still does. You could see a four-three-three. You could see four-two-three-one. Um, I know some of these are the same iterations of the other, obviously. But um, I don't think you'll really see him in, as in the center forward channel. I think Lampard kind of wants to keep it three up front. I think you kind of almost have to think Zayac is going to end up being um, out on the right. You'll have Pulisic probably starting on the left, and then you'll have Werner at center forward. So I think you're going to be seeing Havertz centrally. I don't. I just don't see them going with. Maybe like that second strike role. I think you're going to see him not in a traditional ten, but certainly uh, the link between midfield and 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 the front three. I think is where you, where I would see him shining the most, using, using those half spaces and his intelligence on the ball um, to kind of make things tick moving forward. And he'll still get himself some goals as well. And in, in in that regard, but I don't know if that'll necessarily be enough for Chelsea. They have questions around the pitch. That's a whole other not even on this podcast really. But um, that's where I think they'll probably use him. Maybe. Um, you could maybe even make some arguments that there's a bit about Havertz that you can compare with Lampard and how good Lampard was getting forward and getting the goals influence in that final third. So maybe you'll see some sort of similar deployments in, in that same way. So that's kind of where I would envision him, but it's all fluid. You know, if, uh, depending on injuries, depending on form, he might rock up somewhere else. But I think if he was starting on match day one, if that, that move does go, I think that's where they'll play him. Yeah. Would you largely agree with that and Tom as well? Yeah, completely. Um, you know, I simply don't think that Chelsea would just spend all this money if they didn't have a plan for him. And uh, I suspect they will. They'll know exactly where they want to play him. 
like Drew said, it would be interesting to see if Lampard does kind of uh, sort of almost um, not, maybe not intentionally trying to mould him into a little version of himself, trying to really hone that ability to arrive late into the box and uh, become a bit of a, of a goal scoring midfielder. Uh, it's going to be interesting because you have the the extra layer of you know how well he adapts to the Premier League as well, and, and I think that's a big thing. But he just has everything to to deal with that on paper, uh, and so in practice, hopefully it will be what what we all expect it to be. It's it's a move that you wouldn't have seen probably ten twenty years ago for a, you know a German international so talented, so young, to make this move. So it's different in that aspect. Um, but I, I do think Chelsea have got a plan. I do think he'll go there fully confident and believing that he can be a difference maker in games. And um, and yeah, there's a lot of holes in that Chelsea team. You know, you can point to the goalkeeping situation, you can point to the defence. But um, whatever happens at Chelsea, for better or for worse, it's going to be an, a very, very interesting team to watch in an attacking sense. And I expect there to be uh, good times and bad times and everything in between. But uh, it's going to be fascinating. Maybe just a final, final thought then from you both. And I know you love your predictions, Drew, so <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> simple question, I guess. Where do you both see Kai Havertz in 10 years' time? In every aspect, like still at Chelsea, what can he become at Chelsea with the German national team? don't know who wants to go with that one first. Oh, I'll just go ahead and do it. Um <laughs> <laughs> In 10 years' time, well, he'll be 31 by then, so yes. just coming to the end of his prime years. I mean, I, I think it's tough. I think on paper, if you look at the Chelsea team, they're assembling in terms of talent. So they brought in Werner, Chilwell's in, Zayek is in, who is already about to his prime. Malang Sar is there as a long-term piece. I think you're looking at a core for Chelsea that um, – depending on Lampard's development as a manager, you're looking at a team that they're trying to assemble that can go on and challenge for the league. And I think Havertz is going to be a very large piece of that. It's tough to say if he's going to stay at Chelsea. You'd have to argue if he has two or three brilliant seasons, you have to assume someone like Real Madrid is going to come calling, especially when play, when their midfield long-term is, is struggling in terms of they're all aging. Modric, Cruz, um, they're all getting up there at, at a certain point. So I don't think he'll stay long-term at Chelsea. I think he'll do great things there. Um, I think he'll do, he'll pay some homage to, to Lampard's reputation um, when, that he had as a player, but I don't foresee him there for his career. I think he was going to want bigger and better things, and I think he'll deserve it. I think you're looking at a player who, without jinxing his career unknowingly, I think you're looking at somebody who's going to be <laughs> arguably the, the best midfielder in, in world football and by the time he hits 24 or 25 years old. That's just... Um, kind of my prediction and uh i can make a big uh, history nerd reference here so he's from Aachen, and Aachen used to be where the holy roman empire used to crown emperors so it's ironic that potentially a, such a transformative player for german football came from Aachen, which doesn't normally happen it's interesting to note that that's the career path he could potentially project himself on so yeah that's where i would place it i mean it's guaranteed isn't it? yep for sure <laughs> <laughs> just your final thoughts as well then tom Oh, well, I haven't, I haven't quite got the same like uh, knowledge drop uh, <laughs> as Drew, but um, I, I think he'll do the old uh, Michael Ballack uh, route, but just in a different order. I think he'll end up at Bayern one day. I don't know why, I just have a feeling. Um, and in that sense, I, I, yeah, I, I could see him, I get similar to Drew having, you know, three, four great years at, at, uh, at, um, at Chelsea and then maybe going on 
possibly to Spain, and ultimately, in my opinion, I think he'll end up back in Germany because I don't know. He, he just suits the Bundesliga so well as a player, and I think he'll want to. He might want to come back and, and do something in Germany eventually, and uh, hopefully, you know, he wins European Championships and World Cups for the national team. I certainly think he. he I certainly think he can be this generational player that we all think he'll, he'll be, and he'll be the next leader and the next hope and the one that the team is almost built around. Um, so yeah, it, it's exciting, and um, but I just have a has small suspicion that he'll end up back in Germany eventually. Maybe even Bayer. Maybe we'll all be, you know, a hopeless romantic, and, and maybe he'll go back to back home again. Not quite to Aachen, but maybe to Bayer and uh, and take them to their first, you know, their first uh, league title in how, however long. Um, yeah, so I'd like to think he could do that, but uh, time will tell. And um, I do think whatever happens, I, I think he'll be a success in the Premier League and he'll be uh, an even better player than when he arrived. Well, that concludes tonight's special episode of the Get German Football News podcast. As always, a big thanks to both Drew and Tom for their help and expertise. In the meantime, remember to follow us on the socials, especially on Twitter, to keep up to date with all things German football. Stay safe and thanks again for tuning in.